Success as a photographer is measured in many ways. For some, it's financial or creative, or it's about those moments of joy. Whatever the goal, the most difficult obstacles have little to do with technique or technology. It's instead about how far you can push yourself beyond the expectations of yourself and others. Sue Bryce's story is about just such things. From her early beginnings as a photographer in New Zealand, then Australia, and now the United States, her achievements in business and in photography has been about embracing the idea that you are capable of much more than you might imagine. It's a philosophy she has shared in countless presentations and workshops, including her online mentorship program. Her story is one of possibilities for everyone who desires to do more with both their life and their camera. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. And before you came to California, were you living in New Zealand or Australia? Both. I was born okay. in New Zealand, raised in New Zealand in three years in Sydney before I came over. So is that kind of this kind of heat unusual or is that part yes. warm back there? Very unusual. Okay. But it seems yeah. like you've gotten acclimated because you've been down in at least four years? Eight. Eight years you've been down there? Oh, my God. Eight in L.A., yeah. Eight. I think I saw one of your first presentations at Creative Live, and that's when you first came on, come on Radar, as probably a lot of people did. Eight by, uh, um, yeah, that's what, 2012. Uh, it goes by too quick. Yeah. Oh my God! But, but well, first off, welcome to the show. It's a good. It's good to have you. Thank you. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you for a long time, and so this finally things sort of nicely came together uh, to finally give us the opportunity. Your story is fascinating, and uh, I, I want to kind of dive deep into that if I can. Sure. You know, I, I know that you started your your photographic business out of your garage, mm -hmm. but before that, you were doing retouching. Mm -hmm. I heard that you said something that's very interesting to me. That if that photographer for whom you were working for had been more of a sort of mentor or encouraged you more than he did, you probably would have stayed there. Yeah, he was yeah, moving away from the business. Yeah. But that was kind of interesting because I think there are a lot of people that are in that, in that place where they toy with the idea, but because of whatever, for whatever reason, they, never, they don't make the leap. And until you did, what do you think was sort of holding you back from going out and trying to do it yourself? So let's be really clear. <laughs> I was employed as a photographer. So the reason I said I would have never left was simply because I, I didn't want to run the business. Like I wanted to be the photographer. I didn't even want to care about sales or managing money or people or drama or decisions or responsibility. I just turned up, took the photos and left. And I got paid $400 a week to do that and I built my folio and I had this incredible job but as I started to turn 30, $400 a week was just not getting more and my girlfriends all at the time turned 30 all bought houses and I mm. could not buy a house with $400 a week and I remembered just thinking well there's not a lot of room for me to grow in this boutique photography studio. I am, by nature, just want to be a photographer. I would have just stayed employed, but I needed to make more money. So I thought being self-employed was the only way to do that, to keep a bigger margin and have more control over the work that I was getting. And that just took a long time, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot to learn in the confidence realm. And yeah, that took a really long time, but I would never have left. I, I just wanted to be a photographer. And to this day, even though I've built this massive business, I still think I just wanted to be a photographer, man. <laughs> you still <laughs> want Does that still come up? Yeah, yeah, every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, every well, day I think about it. Yeah. A well, part of that story was that you gave a half of your business to a, a friend who helped you by sort of doing that heavy lifting that you didn't want to do with, with respect to, to the business end. Yes. When when that relationship ended, you went to Australia and you started again. Yeah. And you were again struggling because you weren't able to, you know, you weren't unable you were unable to sort of sell and market your, yourself. 
And so, so when you press it. It wasn't the marketing of myself. It was the direct receiving of money. I had a okay. block around being able to receive money for my craft. And that's what I had to get through first because I keep putting people in front of me that would do the deals for me. But whenever I touched it, it would go bad because I felt so low in my value. So I started to work on my self-value. That's when it changed for mm. me. That's when everything changed for me. Just the ability to tell somebody what I was worth without the fear of them thinking I wasn't good enough. So, yeah, that was, that was a big journey for me, that out on my own. Where did the germ of that start for you, if it's not getting too personal? Because for me, I remember that those thoughts that ended up growing into that voice in my head probably started around elementary school, around first grade, I think. And and I can remember a series of events that happened that that led me to start questioning my value. Yes. And because... And how old were you at that time? That was probably six years old, five or six. Wow. You know, and it's like a lifetime trying to unlearn that. But so, I was wondering, yeah. That is a deep chord for me. I am Indigenous New Zealander, so I am a, of a mixed race. That was in New Zealand, part of my culture growing up. I have working class parents that were incredibly bright, smart, amazing people. They were just working class. And I had a very distinct feeling as a child that we were looked upon as maybe not good enough. Mm. Maybe we were sort of, we certainly weren't poor. We were lower, uh, lowest of the middle class, I suppose. And we had this stigma. Then as I grew up, um, high school was not an option for me. So I just did a TEDx talk about this. I unfortunately was forced to leave school. Um, My situation put me in a place where I had to leave school at 15. So I did not finish or graduate from high school. So I I grew up with a stigma around being working class and uneducated. And it took me a long time to work through that. And it stopped me from being able to stand up and say, I'm a professional photographer and and um, I deserve to be paid like one because I felt like that there was this business school or something that you had to qualify for. And I just, every time I took action, I just kept becoming more successful at it. And I didn't understand that I was able to build a profitable business without having a business degree. And I just kept learning and learning. And then I realized, well, maybe I was the one holding myself back the entire time. Yeah. And I just didn't know. I, I found my value in mastery. And I mastered my craft. And then I started, people started to treat me with value. People who were valuable, doctors, Mm. lawyers, people that were smart and educated and wealthy. And they would say, you are talented. You, you're everything. Like, you're amazing. And I'd say, oh. And then I had to learn how to receive that money. And that was probably the biggest breakthrough for me that I realized I was valuable in this world. I realized, well, if I have value, I have worked really hard to master. I, I Malcolm Gladwell, that 10,000 hours, like nobody's mm-hmm. business. Like I, I wanted to master my craft more than I wanted to do anything. I would have delivered pizza to do that. I would have done whatever it took to do it because I thought about nothing else. Then when I mastered my craft, I found value in myself reflected back and I just kept following that and kept being of value and of service to people. I realized that the more humble I became, the more successful I became, the more I said, I don't need to impress anybody, I just need to serve. I felt like at first, when you tell somebody who's working class that they have to spend their life in service, I felt like I would spend the rest of my life taking that order. You know, like, Mm -hmm. how can I help you? And then I realized that actually is the essence of business. How can I help you? And so service was never a problem for me. It was always my superpower. And the more humble I became in that service, the more I could charge for it because the more I could say, thank you, don't now pay me. Oh, my (laughs) God, That idea seems so antithetical that the more humble you become, the more willing you can be to accepting. So I'm not above serving anybody. If you came to my home, I would graciously sweep the floor in front of you with, can I get you a refreshment? Would you like water, coffee, 
or do you like a cocktail or do you like a mm -hmm. wine? Like, what are we going to do? Because my highest value is my table and my kitchen table. And uh, I have a 10-seater kitchen table for a reason. It's the first thing you see when you walk into my home. My staff eat family style, my friends eat family style, and my business eats family style. Like, I, I believe in this wholeheartedly, yeah. You know, and this energy that this positive, you know, this positive, empowering gift that you give to, to people who study with you is something that I see when you're working with your subject matter. Yes. You know, when, when, you're, when you're photographing people. And it's always been one of the, the things I've greatly appreciated when I've had the chance to see you work is how, you. how much you empower the women that you photograph. Isn't um, that what everyone wants? I want I, to be empowered. I, I want to give the experience that I want. Like, I want to trust someone so much that I could reveal myself to them. I want to sit in front of someone in so much confidence that they can see who I am and let them do that and then feel the feeling of knowing that that's happened and seeing my images, knowing that you saw who I was and that you, mm -hmm. you took the time and you made it about me. Have you ever received that yourself? Yes, many times, yeah. I'm not comfortable in the process. And because I'm not comfortable in the process, I, I suppose Jurison, my, my assistant, my associate Jurison has photographed me more than anybody. And it's probably the most uncomfortable for him because, you know, I am his, <laughs> <laughs> his mentor. And, you know, I give him a hard time. I'm also a 49-year-old woman, so I'm going to be a little a little hard on myself in front of the camera so he probably has the hardest job but he does get there for me it's just maybe not the process that I dream about and it's obviously not a joyful experience for him <laughs> maybe it is did you spend more time learning how to sort of engage your subjects build rapport with your subjects more so than learning the sort of technical aspects of photography I did yeah I really really did I think I mastered window light I absolutely mastered posing because I was so empathic to the self-consciousness that people feel in front of the camera about their bodies. And at the time, I was also going through a journey with my body, my weight, and was changing. And so I was avoiding the camera, as you do when you put on a few pounds, you kind of go, I hate the camera. So I understood it, and then I pushed into it more, and then it was my purpose. It was like the conversation I had every single day. And then I realized that my referrals from these photo shoots were five plus per shoot. Like I just stopped marketing because I was just, people would just have this experience and then send me work. So it was kind of quite magical and definitely the essence or the why of what I did and why. Yeah. Did the result of you just getting more and more clients sort of propel you to increase how much you were Charging? Yes. Or how did, how, tell me in terms of how you sort of figured out that not only could you, but that it was probably the best thing to do. Because a lot of people know that they probably should increase their pricing, but for whatever reason, they, they don't. At first, I wanted to hit an $1,850 average. So I priced my packages so that middle package was $1,850. And then I got the best advice and it was the most basic advice I've ever been given in business. And it said, after they've selected their portraits, you're going to add that up and you're going to just say the number out loud. And you're going to say, this package here is $3,500. It comes with, explain what it comes with and then stop talking. The next person who talks is going to buy it. They're going to say yes or no. If they say, no, that's too much, readjust the package to the next layer down and negotiate that. And if they say, yes, you just made a sale, throw in more for more and see if you can take it up to the next level. And almost overnight, I hit that $1,850 average. But then I don't know whether it was my um, guilt or because, you know, I was working through shame and guilt are the two things that repel money. And I was very... Mm filled with shame and guilt around money. So maybe I was repelling it, but I felt like I repelled money a little bit for a while there. So I stayed at an $1,850 average for about four years when I didn't have to. I just didn't think to put my prices up. When I moved to Australia, people would book me and say, oh, you're cheap. 
So I put it up to three and a half thousand and then people had gone from telling me I was too expensive at $400 for, you know, I couldn't shoot and burn $400 and suddenly I'm selling my work for three and a half thousand dollars and they're telling me I'm cheap and all I did was change how I felt about it, mm. how I responded, how I acted, how I received money, how I attracted work, how I gave back and how I stood out and and that was magical to me. And I was like, I can do that. I can do this all day, every day. Yeah. For me, that you know, that whole issue is not so much is not only about fear, but I think that a big part of it is is this mentality of lack that if I raise my prices, you know, that I, if I ask for too much, then I'm going to have less of what I want. So asking is possibly the key. I don't believe in just asking. I believe in asking God. I believe in asking the universe. So say it in prayer or say it in meditation. I don't care how you say it. Speak it out loud and ask. Ask God to support you. Ask the universe to support you. Ask family and friends to support your dream. Whatever it is, even if it's just a kind word, ask. Ask the universe for work. Tell the universe you're open for opportunity. Tell the universe you're open for connection. Tell the universe you're open for your highest good. Look for it every single day. Speak it. Speak it into existence. Speak it with joy. Speak it with enthusiasm. Watch your world change. Attract it. Write it down. Focus on it. Every single day, I read my goal list. I activate my goal list. My goal is to step forward in action every day. I have a strong bias for action, and I believe you could say, you know, I don't have a natural talent by any means. I don't have a natural intelligence for business by any means, but I have a strong bias for action, and I learn along the way. Taking action is probably one of the greatest gifts you can have as a business owner. Do you have a morning routine? Yes, I do. I wake up, meditate. I have to do that. I process a lot of my energy in the first two hours of my morning. I do not touch social media. Nothing comes in until something comes down. I feel when I'm connected and I've slept well, I'm hydrated, I eat well and I balance myself, that when I wake up in the morning, I have this extensive knowing it's like I sleep and I'm replenished. I always ask for clarity and answers. I ask to be solution-focused in my business and love-focused in my life. I ask for that at night, and when I wake up in the morning, I expect a certain level of downloading. There seems to be a great consciousness. I can wake up in the morning, see somebody very clearly who I know, and then when I pop into my work schedule, they're there. They're either emailed or called. And I just feel that there's a lot of intuition in our morning. Uh, I feel like I download a lot of information through the night while I'm sleeping. I don't know how spiritually. I don't know. But I always feel like I wake up in the morning with a strong bias for action, creativity, joy. And I want to set that. I want to set it in my day. I want to be able to give people all of myself. And uh, it's hard to do if I'm not replenished. I tried for a long time to people please. And, you know, I, I couldn't. I, I dropped plates like nobody's business. And so I realized I just have to be me and just keep looking after myself and just being a strong leader and, and a strong positive voice. That's, that's it. You've gone through these transformations. Um, especially with respect to your business and, you know, as a woman. But I wonder how this this development in terms of how you've changed in terms of how you see yourself and how you treat yourself ended up influencing how you work as a photographer mm -hmm. in terms of how you saw your, yourself and then how you saw your subject. Mm -hmm. Can you uh, look at your photographs and see that reflected in the work? Yes, I can. I see myself in them. I see my, I, I got lost. I lost. I lost my physical self. Um, in my 20s, I just started to live from the neck up. I would just wear black v-necks, same clothes every day, and I just wouldn't acknowledge my body. I just I started to work on my business, and I had to give it all of my energy, and I would work 20 hours a day and eat past all night, and I was putting on weight, and I was feeling, I was feeling disempowered. Mm. And the irony was is whilst I needed all of this energy to build my business because I really needed validation and support, I was – I really struggled to build this. Like I, I was not, it was not an easy path for me. So it took a lot and I found myself 
at the other end with this incredibly successful business and brand. And then all of a sudden I blew up in Australia and in America. I'm over here in 2011 doing keynotes at WPPI. And then I'm doing Creative Live and I'm sort of blowing up here and getting this big audience. And I saw myself on camera and I was like, I think I've just forgotten to um, be in my body. And so I started to balance out starting a business and being the face and voice and physical body of my brand, getting back to balance and health and replenishing, getting away from the stress. It, that took me a long time. This was a, a wild ride. So yeah, I, uh, I found that whole experience was incredible and it lends exactly to what we feel like as women and men being photographed. It's really vulnerable. Oh yeah, I'm there, I'm there as well. Cool thing, right? Because you have a visual of yourself, an image of yourself that you're hoping I can see. Mm -hmm. and, and if I don't present that image to you, you're going to be disappointed. It's nice to be able to surprise someone yes. when they discover how you see them through the camera. And, it, and it, it's, it's a wonderful moment when all of a sudden they see themselves in a way that they couldn't have anticipated. Because they're always surprised that I can. That's what I like about it. They're always surprised mm -hmm. that I can see it. Yeah. You've, you've done a lot, of, a lot of work with, with people you know, for nonprofits and stuff and things like that. Tell me about choosing you know, uh, to do that. Why was that so important to you at different points in your career? I think you should give back. I think you also, to me, um, I had to choose charities or people that I really like and admire because I don't want to do it gratuitously. I want to be part of something bigger. So I want to be part of something consistently growing bigger. And, and part of that was I started to learn how to build online platforms, which is why I built Superice Education. And then... I love to curate content for multiple platforms online and I want to help people do that with their own unique voice. And you can have your own online platform now. You can build a platform online and literally have tens of thousands of followers listening to your voice, your unique voice. So if you have something to say, and then I definitely want to help you moving forward. I've spent the first 31 years like creating visual images mm -hmm. and what's come up out of all of that for me is the power of the connection of the internet to give voice to anybody to connect people around the world to educate to inspire to free people online it's crazy part yeah. even that is also incredible When this year started, I was thinking a lot about reaching our 500th episode. As much as that was a big deal, what I couldn't have anticipated is that events later on in the year would turn our world upside down, and that the show would take on a bigger significance to you and so many others. I've been receiving lovely messages from people about how these conversations have helped them navigate these challenging times. Though that wasn't originally my intent, it reminds me that the influence of this show goes beyond merely producing entertaining talk about photography. It has and continues to have a great impact that I could never have imagined when I started in 2006. So as important as this show is to me, I know it's important to you. And if you found it valuable, you can support the work we do here by becoming a Patreon supporter. You can contribute $5, $10, $20 or more a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash the candid frame. Along with many other listeners, you are making a huge difference for us in delivering the best show possible to you every week. So if you enjoy the work we're doing here, please come on as a Patreon supporter today. Thank you. It must have been a very interesting time in your head when you were approached by Canon to be Explorer of Light, to speak at WPPI, to Gosh. go to Creative Life, and yet in the midst of that, you weren't fully evolved yet, no. who you are now, right? And that whole idea is like, 
what am I doing here? Especially when you're alongside people who you may have admired and that whole sense of imposter syndrome. And you know, they, they you, comes up. people tell you you're not good enough. <laughs> <I'm lying. laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. Lying. yeah, right. So, you know, you're just sitting there. So, yeah, that's there. Um, I but, but Tell me about that, that, that sort of time because it's like you're being propelled into it and it's like you're caught up in the momentum and you are doing these things. Get inside your head, you're going, when am I going to be found out? Yes. So I felt like on my 2012 Creative Live, I legitimately spoke those words feeling like I was apologizing for myself. I mm. said I had a moment the day before we went live where I was on set where my voice said, you are old, you are fat, and you are uneducated. What do you honestly think you can give this world? <laughs> and I responded with, I have no idea. So I sat with that for, a, a, God, it makes me emotional to think about it. I sat with it for a while and then I came up with this understanding that I didn't have to make any of these people like me. In fact, some of them wouldn't like me. They just mm -hmm. wouldn't. And I couldn't, I, I didn't have to make any of these people like my work because some of them will not like my work. All I had to do was show them how I became really successful at it. So one, it's joyful. Two, mastery is joyful. And three, how I learned how to make money and be sustainable and profitable. I was like, that's all people want to know. It's not really about me. They want to mm. know how my business model could possibly change their life. So I'm going to get up there and instead of saying, I hope they like me, I'm going to say, I'm just going to tell them how I did it. And if they choose to do it, like me or not, they can be free or whatever they want to be. And I let it, my intention go and I had the best experience of my life. I received 11,000 emails after my first creative life. Oh, my God. And I responded to everyone. It took me six weeks. And then I had an audience and that built and built and they were just a community and they're amazing. And now it's bigger and it's just insane. So how did you, because responding to 11,000 emails is <laughs> no small effort. But, you know, as, as, you've, as you've grown as a personality, as a businesswoman, as a photographer, it's difficult to be able to give back to that degree. Because you, know, you have so many things that you have to do. So how do you, you know, strike a balance between being able to do everything you need to do to sustain yourself personally and, and as, in, in terms of business, but also not overextending yourself in any variety of different ways, but especially personally? I think I fail um, miserably at that. I feel, like, <laughs> I feel like people might say, tell her to teach a class on work-life balance. And I would say, oh, there's such a thing. I probably suffer from, um, I work too much probably and I don't, I'm not very good at balancing it, but mm -hmm. yeah, I'm getting better every single day. I'm getting better at it. So it's not easy for me. I tend to throw myself at everything. Oh. Did you have to learn to, how to have fun when it wasn't related to work? Still don't know how to have fun at work because, well, work is fun. Not always. But outside of But work. outside, yeah, I, I know how to have fun. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Oh, yeah, I'm fun size. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're away from all the photography, from all the business, how do you, what do you do to have fun? Well, here's the thing. So I love friends. I love eating. I love people. I love drinking and I love speaking. So the table is where I'm at. I, I will yeah. be, oh, I'm the person, yeah. that table, that kitchen, that experience for me, eating with people, always talking with people is my favorite thing to do. But yeah, I need to be moving constantly, actively, physically, mentally, emotionally. I just like to be constantly moving and I like action and I like the beach and I love my friends and I just like being out there and in the world. Yeah. Yeah, I love, for me, some of my favorite memories with friends have been sitting around a table yeah. eating and drinking wine. Um, I had this one, we went, all went to um, Luca in Italy. And uh, we rented like uh, a villa and had three houses. And I think we had about 15 or 16 people. Right. And our first night, we had this table poolside with tiki torches. The food was marvelous. 
but it was just being able to be laughing and talking with each other. And that for me was like the best. Graffy Castle for Graffy Albums, when we go there, they, Mm -hmm. all the local villagers come up and cook for you. And there's about 16 in the massive kitchen. They'll prepare like pasta and everything, serve everyone family style. It is just a phenomenal experience. It is a real Italian, one of the most incredible experiences of my life. I saw uh, footage of your studio and you had that very long table where you have the meals. And I love the idea that you have that, you know, when you have someone coming to a shoot, you have the makeup person, the stylist, the hair, whoever else is there. And you guys all, everybody sits down and eats at the table. And I go, God, that is such... I want to be in that photo shoot. Well, that's <laughs> you know? it's the Kiwi way. You know, we break bread. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, you come to a Kiwi's house and they're going to give you food. <laughs> they're going to feed you. It's just the New Zealand way. So how are you intrinsically Kiwi? I, I feel like I have, I feel like as a proud New Zealander, I have a very fierce culture. So um, I once talked to a queer, a wise woman, and I said, sometimes I don't feel Māori, sometimes I feel a little bit like I don't know where I belong. And she said, "Um, if anybody ever asks where you come from, you say, I'm tangata whenua, I'm of this land. I think New Zealanders have a very strong pride in mana, and we have a really strong culture, and I'm really, really proud of my culture. I'm proud of being a Kiwi. I've traveled around the world, and Kiwis get this sort of Guernsey everywhere they go. I don't quite know why. Guernsey? What is that? I don't know. They just get this free ride. They get this free sort of oh. trip into everywhere. Like, I just seem to get countries, We we get, and people are always like, I love Kiwis. Kiwis are amazing. And and people, a lot of Americans have traveled to my country and I get to talk to them about New Zealand and they've all just had this incredible experience with my people. So I feel very proud of my country. Yeah, Very proud of being a Kiwi. You had several iterations in studios. You once, you started off with a garage, you know, where you painted the, the background and you, you know, the furniture was stuff you found in the street. Yep. And now you've got this beautiful space in El Segundo. Yeah. And you've had iterations in between. Tell me about that part of making your dream into reality in terms of the importance of the space reflecting the value you feel about yourself and, and what you're doing. It doesn't. That's the crime. There's going to be a moment where you want so much for your business, your future self, and you just may look up and think, I don't know how I'm going to get that, or that seems impossible, or that seems like a stretch right now. But the truth is, is, is if you keep walking towards it, it's going to be available to you. And then you're going to understand that everything you thought that would come with that was already available to you. Mm. The journey is internal, but we go up in increments and some of us climb slow. And remember, I always say um, from the artist's way, you're going around the mountain. So same same view but different altitude when you relearn that lesson again and it's yeah. just something I'm not the four walls of my studio I'm Sue Bryce wherever I go but Sue Bryce with no value would have seen a car park photo shoot by a, a dumpster as being not good enough but Sue Bryce who's this value laughs and says I can make three and a half thousand dollars standing next to a dumpster because I'm I, I know what I'm creating and provided mm. that I'm not being, I didn't mean to sound arrogant or trite. I'm oh, yeah, literally yeah, yeah. doing a shoot outside in a car park and I turn around and photograph this dumpster. And I realized that these dumpsters would have really impacted me 10 years ago, 20 years ago. But now they're just dumpsters that I happen to be shooting by this epic light in LA. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. And all of that comes from inside you, you know? It's crazy to me. We're going through a challenging time, not only because of COVID, but also financially. And I know that you you face difficult financial times as during different periods in terms of economic downturns. Uh, what what has allowed you and is allowing you currently to weather those things and still do what you love to do? In the 90s, we had a recession and I was an employee. I watched my boss nearly lose his business over it. 
he came to work one day and said, we need to find thousands of dollars to pay this bill. And I remembered being young and thinking, wow. And um, at the time I heard a quote, you know who's swimming naked when the tide goes out. And I come from working class. I'm not a saver. I'm not a natural saver. I, tear, I Money would just burn a hole in my pocket and I was always living on credit and I was living in debt. And I remembered thinking that's not going to happen to me. So when I started my business, um, when the recession hit in 2008, I was prepared for that. I had savings and I was not bloated. My business was not bloated. It was lean, mean, and I sailed through it in New Zealand. Then I got to Australia in 2009 and it just picked up where I left off there and I carried on. So I was fully booked 2008, 2009 and 2010. And I see myself as a luxury item. So if I was fully booked, then people were valuing me and getting value from me. And I, I sailed through that. So coming up to COVID, I actually thought I'd be coaching all of my students through a recession. Mm. I always was ready for it. They already knew that quote, you know, you know, who's swimming naked when the tide goes out. And, he, and it was, I, want, I wanted them to be prepared for anything. I was not prepared for all of them to lose their income for a long period of time. This is just nothing I've ever experienced in my life. So to answer the second part of that question, what is enabling me to do that? My business was already online. So I'm literally coaching thousands of students through a loss of income. And for those who are not losing their homes and, you know, for, for the small, there is a small percentage of people that are hurting so badly right now. Um, for the people that are in limbo, in the safe zone, have nothing, they're just trying to focus on creativity. Yeah. Well, tell me about, you know, your, your online presence in terms of education, because you have supervised education. And then we have, we also wanted to talk about the uh, photographic masters Right. Um, so we have an in-person conference which just got cancelled and we have 600 people come to that every September in Phoenix, Arizona. And we had to flip into a digital model. So we have created the Portrait Masters online, which, by the way, is absolutely mind-blowing. So it's unlike any digital conference I've yet to see, especially in COVID. We're not doing this on Zoom. We've sent out production in a box and we've been filming photographers in their own spaces and in their own studios remotely. Uh, we have shootouts, we have our trade show, our demo stage. We have everything. It's quite amazing. We have a, a, shootout, a shootout by four Sony photographers all going head-to-head -head with one model all separately and they didn't see each other shoot. Pro photo oh, did wow. the same and oh, Canon. Wow. So this is what I wasn't allowed to do because I couldn't travel for COVID. I couldn't be in the Canon shootout. But it didn't matter. They put four amazing photographers in there and all of them did it. And they each took turns. It was just incredible how they've done it. And we can't wait to bring it to everybody because hopefully it will be the, the bridge uh, to get us through the end of this. There, there are a lot of photo events, as, you know, as, uh, conventions, the, the like. What do you feel, besides the, what you just described in terms of how it's different compared to a lot of other stuff that's currently being distributed, what do you think is special about what you're creating here? Um, I wanted to be able to bring people to our conference who couldn't come in person. It's a high ticket price in person. And online, you could bring the cost down. But I bring education to my conferences, not just fluff. So I think people are going to be blown away by the 28 classes on there that have got some phenomenal content from really cool speakers. So I'm excited to um, do this online, even though we can't do it in person. But it's just exciting to go through the experience of doing flipping this online the first time. Yeah. Well, with the, with the mentorship that you provide on, 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 on your site, as you mentioned, you've helped people to improve their businesses, increase their value as a, as a photographer. But I also know that you have helped to change lives, which is an altogether other world experience and you know and for that that young woman that you once were who was very doubtful of herself and her value what is it like for you now to see that you just the way you are now and the way you've grown in the woman you've grown into has such a powerful powerful effect that you can actually transform someone else's life you know i don't know that i did 
I, I kind of struggle with it. This is the thing. People will often say to me, you changed my life. And I, I look at them and I say, did I though? Because I'm only just meeting you for the first time. So I think I told my story and then you heard it and then you changed your life. Or there was something about my story that made you believe you could change it. So you changed it. Or maybe there was something about what I did or how I said it that made you think that's what I want, but I still was not part of that conversation and I still yeah. was not part of that. So whilst I think that is the world's most beautiful compliment and I truly think it's the best compliment I receive on a regular basis from my students, I can't take responsibility for that. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not important to me that I could even take responsibility for that. What's important is that you understand that you're doing it and that I'm not doing it. I just yeah. I just took action. So, yeah. Well, you've, I, I've heard you say that, but you've also said that they've changed you. For sure. So I, I would love to hear an anecdote of how a person that you were engaged with changed you. Hmm. That's a really good one. Every student has definitely given me an incredible gift. So my number one, Nikki Klosser, she was my first assistant, my first sort of mentor, my first student um, who became a mentor in my group and now runs all of our 12 week coaching. Mm -hmm. She's the one that emailed me and introduced me to Jill, which was okay. a very profound experience. Nikki became one of my best friends. And when Jill died, you know, we got to go and say goodbye to Jill and then got to go to Jill's funeral together. And Nikki actually became my bridesmaid last year. So she's one of my best friends. So she impacted me. First, she became a student. Then she reached out to me and became um, somebody that I did a charity event with. And then I'm in Paris with her and her best friend and we're doing Jill's documentary. And then um, Jill passed and two years later and Nikki and I stayed friends and became best friends. She now runs our podcast Watching her build a business blew me away because I got to do it. I got to watch her in real time. And I also fundamentally understood Nikki came from an educated background and she also came from a self-value place where she understood it, but she had good self-value and she's an amazing girl. And I got to watch her do it with confidence. And it was a journey I didn't get to enjoy watching for myself because most of it was done, you know, freaking out. And yet I got to see her do it, like build this business. And then she bought a home and then she had a baby and then she just kept her business going all on her own. And I was just watching this woman build this thing and I was so taken by it. And she was like, I'm just doing what you're telling me. So I was, it was amazing to me. And I was like, oh, yeah, I did that. So I, I do remind myself all the time that I kind of built a business. But then sometimes I feel like I made a monster. <laughs> and the monster needs to be fed, you know, mm -hmm. and sometimes the body count is like, and I was like, whoa, that's a big thing and that needs a lot. And uh, sometimes whew, it can get on top of me. Big time. So what do you do in such moments? Unplug, drop the ball, make big mistakes, apologize profusely, pick it all back up and <laughs> get on with it. What, what does anybody else do? Clean up your mess. Stop being problem-focused, get back into solution-focused, sort it out, sort out who you need to sort out, say sorry, you know, and get back into yeah. it. It's just I get overwhelmed. I, I take on too much. I hit the wall a lot. I stub my toe. I kick the ball. I, oh, I drop the ball. I do. Uh, I drop plates. I'm very human, very human, very, very human. How is it for you to ask for help? Oh, I'm, yeah, I would be wearing that sign at therapy saying, does not ask for help. Mm. You're getting better at it? Yeah. Yeah, this year. Yeah, I said it this was year. 30 wow. years. Yeah, I was like, 30 years, it's time I got better at asking for help. Yeah, you can ask. It's important. I have to admit that it's something that I've only learned in the last several years myself. Right. You know, but it's yeah. like, it's okay. It's okay to admit that I don't know how to do something. Right. But that I can't figure it out on my own. Yes. And, well, and, the, and the people there that are, willing to help me out or at least 
allow me to think it out by bouncing ideas off of them. Yes. And help me reconsider things that I hadn't really considered before. It wasn't that I couldn't do something. I've always been the first to admit when I cannot do something or do not know something because I'm the first person to bring in somebody that does. Um, Mm. For me, it was the fact that I felt like if I gave a job away, I would somehow micromanage it. Like um, somehow the person getting the job would never care as much as me. Okay. And so you'll never do it as good as me or as fast as me. So it's just easier if I do it myself because now you're actually under my feet and in my way. And now you're not helping me. That's when I got it. I would get overwhelmed. Once I'm overwhelmed, mm-hmm. I'm a mess. So I just learned <laughs> to stop and sort of say what is the best use of my time and who can help me get, you know, do this, who can help me facilitate all this list. So in terms of, you know, your photography, you still have your photographic clients, you have this education, you have this conference. How do you sort of figure out how much time you want to be able to dedicate to, you know, your photographic business, to education? You know, because some people can, are happy to get as much work as they can as a photographer. And I'll also do this and I'll also do that. And like you said, you overextend yourself, you burn out. So how do you sort of figure out what is workable for you, for lack of a better word. So I'd be happy with two shoots a month and I go down to one right now so that Mm -hmm. I can do this. And at the end of the day, I'm really still shooting so I stay relevant. If you don't, if you stop shooting, you're just not relevant. Like I focus more um, time during the week on SBE than I do and TPM than I do on my photography business but Mm -hmm. I can keep my clients that's easy I also have people that fly to me which is very cool and I have a lot of repeat clients so I don't worry about that I dream of this day when I stop educating that I can just go back to being a photographer and I'm I don't know if I will be able to do that because inevitably a lot of photographers in my network want me to photograph them so, I, you know, we'll get a waiting list, a big waiting list, and I'm like, guys, I just can't take this much work. I have to just slowly let people in. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, here's the crazy part. <laughs> the less I started shooting, the more in demand I became. Then I, had a, <laughs> then I had a waiting list with 300 people on it that people we cut off. And, and then I did that, and then people called me names. So it's like you can't win like when I all I wanted was to be paid nobody would give me any attention and when I didn't want the work people would tell me you know so you just create more demand by being less available (laughs) and I don't want to create more demand I want to create more brilliant photographers that can do the work so ideally for you in seeing yourself as a photographer what would be a fantasy that you have in terms of the space you would be in, not physical space, but, you know, when you fantasize about this is what I would love to be doing at, at, at a given point in time, that's not tied into having a business, making income, none of that. Do you have one? So when we, it was May and we're in quarantine and I didn't get to go on my honeymoon, which was booked for June. We were really lucky that we had a friend that had an a property in Palm Springs, and he gave that to us for four weeks so we could quarantine on honeymoon, which was incredible. We never left. We stayed there for literally four weeks. We ordered food in. We cooked every day, and we had our honeymoon, and it was incredible. And it was a beautiful property that had so many places I could shoot on this property that I just sat there and I thought my dream in life is in the future after COVID is to get a property out here, hopefully to purchase one. It would be wonderful to be able to do that and set up a photographer's studio that's inside and outside because Palm Springs light is kind of this weird desert magic that Mm. you just don't get anywhere. We actually got married here. That's why it's special to us. And I want a studio here. And that's, this is what I've just come from COVID. I was just sat down and I thought it doesn't have to be big. It can just be small I would like to almost run it like an Airbnb so photographers could come in with clients and just have this magical desert-like studio that they can also stay in like a pool resort. 
Yeah. And, and it's all doable here. It's just the craziest life. And that's something like that, um, something dream up of an existence that involves me mentoring photographers that come in and just want to shoot and I can shoot with them. And, oh, I, I could see a, a very easy retirement, artist retirement photographer's retreat here and I would do that in a heartbeat. So oh, yeah. I'm sure it will happen. It will. Considering, yeah. considering everything else that you've managed to, to, uh, to do, I have no doubt. Of that. Uh, <laughs> well, my last question, which I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be? And why? Um, I'm going to say Kesha Lambert. Have you interviewed Kesha Lambert? No. Um, she was my new find in the last four months for the Portrait Masters Online Conference. And, oh, my gosh, mind blown. Um, so I, she wasn't on my radar. She's wedding and portrait in New York. She's just been named as a Sony artisan. She's just an incredible businesswoman. Her story is somewhere um, – she's a lawyer, was a lawyer – then became a mom and then became a photographer. Now she has this massive photography business. She has three associate photographers shooting weddings under her brand, like just a powerhouse. And she spoke for us for Portrait Masters Online. So we've already filmed her class. So technically I've seen it because <laughs> we won't be live. And it just won the day for me. She's just incredible. And I would love you to interview her. Oh, thank you for that. And thank you for your time. You didn't disappoint. Uh, it was wonderful to finally have a chance to sit down and talk with you. Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks to Sue for joining us. Find out more about her and her work by visiting SueBricePortrait.com and SueBriceEducation.com. If you're a devoted listener and subscribe to the show, write us a review on whatever service you listen to podcasts. Those reviews have allowed us to grow. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and our mailing list. On the YouTube channel, I offer critiques on images submitted by TCF listeners like you, while the mailing list keeps you updated with all TCF events, including workshops and more. Sign up today. And remember, you can support the show by contributing to our Patreon effort or making a one-time or recurring donation via PayPal. Thanks to Nathan Villotti, Sarah Salmon, Charles J. Oliva, and Tony Striplin for their recent contributions. We also provide a series of ebooks on photography available for purchase on our website. It's my way of sharing my experience and knowledge and another way for you to support the show. And if you can't find every episode on the show on whatever service you listen to podcasts, download the Candid Frame app, which is available for both Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker. And our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at Incompetech.com. And this is Ibadian X, and this is The Candid Frame.